Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That means improving your photo skills, building on your business knowledge, and honing your marketing abilities. But it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We do try to bring the show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographer's Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. Again, photographersedit.com and Milu.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another Boca podcast episode and a brand new guest and getting into a topic that we haven't honestly spent a whole lot of time on, and that is copywriting. I'm joined today by Caitlin Center. Caitlin, thank you so much for making time to hang out with all of us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nathan. I was super excited when I pitched you and you responded with a yes. I'm really happy to be here. (laughs) Well, this is a really important conversation, important topic that uh, honestly, I mean, over 400 episodes now, I think close to 440 episodes or so that I've recorded, we've maybe had two or three that we dealt with the topic specifically, the topic of copywriting, and uh, more specifically, effective copywriting for the sake of converting a potential client. And this mm-hmm. is something that we all, myself included, need help with. I know that photographers, emotional artist types can easily get wordy and not necessarily mm-hmm. use the language or, for that matter, the brevity um, that we should to most effectively convert potential clients. We get excited talking about our craft and maybe about our personal lives or experience or you know our favorite foods. I mean, you see that even a lot on photographers' right. websites uh, or certainly have over the last couple of years. But ultimately, our goal is to convert a potential client and, and, of course, give them a really great experience. But we need to do the conversion part first, and copywriting plays such an important role in that, certainly can. And uh, so we're going to get into that very topic today. You've got kind of an interesting, what sounds like an interesting framework, uh, specifically for the sake of copywriting uh, that we're going to delve into. But before we do that, um, we want to get to know you a little bit. And so the first question that I normally ask our guests has to do with brand position. Now, as a copywriter, I'm curious what your brand position is in your market. Yeah, so for me, I just help small creative businesses put an end to the marketing guesswork and take their copy from, well, it's paying the bills to breaking sales records. Because like you said, so often it's easy to get off track and to not really focus on, or even selling yourself. You may be able to talk about your work and what you love about your work, but when it comes down to actually converting and selling yourself, that's a lot harder. And sometimes marketing can feel a little bit like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. And that is not the point of copywriting. Copywriting is a science. So I help remove that guesswork and We don't just want to cover bills. We want to actually have successful businesses. I love that. Okay. But you talked about removing guesswork, minimizing confusion. Mm -hmm. What is that confusion for artist types in particular? I think a lot of times it's just not knowing the exact right words to say that make people say yes. And Hmm. as you mentioned that we're going to get into the framework a little bit is that's the framework that I use. And it, it really, it's more about research. And once you figure out the best way to do research, you know, the exact right words you need to say 
So you, when your ideal customer lands on your page, they say, yes, that's me. And so yeah. it's a lot easier to get the yes and to make the sale. Okay. That, that makes sense. And I, you also teased our conversation later <laughs> on really well. So we're going to get to that in just a bit. Everybody stay listening in. Um, before we get there, though, talk to me about your experience as a business owner. What would you say uh, is the most important principle personally that you've experienced that you've seen really works for providing a wonderful customer experience? So as a service-based business, which I know so many people listening are, I really think that it is just listening and listening well, and then pairing that with open and clear communication. So when Hmm. you take the time to listen um, to what your customers are saying, you're able to communicate with them in a way that helps them stay satisfied. Because a lot of times when you're a service, you're doing work that's behind the scenes and it's kind of hard for your customer or your client to, to know what's going on and to follow what work you're really doing. So when you're able to listen really well and master the skill of listening, you can then communicate with them effectively and that keeps them satisfied. Okay, so these are really important points. Um, and certainly I, right off the bat, I would agree with you, but I'm curious if you can give us a little bit of the nitty gritty. When we talk about, first of all, listening, this can be... I mean, it, it's, you know, I guess first world problems. It can be challenging at times, right? Because for whatever reason, maybe we're, we had a crazy day, we're distracted thinking about the things that happened in our day earlier. And now we have to have a conversation with a client or a potential client and we need to be present. We need to be paying attention so we can then, as you pointed out, communicate more clearly. But how, what's, do you have a tip, for example, for how to listen a bit more effectively so that we can then communicate more clearly? Hmm. I don't know if I have any concrete tips about listening more effectively than just... You just do it naturally, huh? Yeah, it's just important (laughs) to me to make sure I'm paying attention. Um, I guess I can be very forgetful. So when I am having those Mm. conversations with clients, it's super important to me that I'm paying attention to the details because if I don't pay attention to that and write it down right away, I'm going to flub up. So it's really more out of habit to protect myself, I think, than anything else. Yeah, you know, I've noticed that. It, it's funny, you talk about the significance of paying attention in the listening process. Mm-hmm. A lot of people talk about not having great memory, and yet, yeah. and, and myself included, by the way, and yet we were able to pull out the most random facts and information at the most random times, right? One of the things that I've learned over time, and I wish I could remember the original source of this, but, uh, and I, it may have even been Tony Robbins. I talk about Tony Robbins a lot on the podcast, but emotionally compelling experiences tend to help make our memory or memories more concrete. And those mm-hmm. that are not as compelling, um, you know, especially with the amount of noise that we're naturally consuming in 2020, we, we just don't give enough significance to in order to then remember later on. How we're going to create an emotionally compelling experience having a conversation with a client really is probably going to be up to the individual and the, the particular circumstance. But I want to right. at least just throw that idea out there. I know that I have to be, I have to make a concerted effort really to truly focus on what the person's saying in order to engage them well. At the very least, we should all be making that that effort because again, it can go it can be easy to kind of go into autopilot mode and and just, you know, somebody's voice is droning on in the background and we're like, we're nodding and we're saying, mm-hmm, but we're not actually there and paying attention. So I'm I, I'm glad that you bring that up because it's an important reminder. What about communication? And the thing that I keep coming back to this, just to give context, is I 
too many times over in my my life, I've made assumptions about what the person on the other side of the conversation who I'm looking at having a conversation with, how they process what I'm saying. I assume that if I communicate in a way that makes sense to me, then they should be able to understand it too. And that's just not reality. How have you learned to effectively communicate? Um, Kind of like you were saying, it's on a case-by-case basis. So when you're having um, a client meeting or that initial, that initial contact point, a lot of times you can kind of get a feel for, um, how either hands on or hands off that person is going to be. Hmm. And so for me and for even, I know a lot of photographers, sometimes it, it's going to take scouting out a, um, location or it takes a lot of time editing or figuring out a style and all those different things. For me as a copywriter, there's a lot of research that happens okay. before I ever put words on the page. Okay. So sometimes it could seem, depending on the project, like I haven't done anything for two weeks and you're wondering what your deposit is paying for. So I really work very hard to um, make my process pretty clear. And if that person seems like they are extremely hands-on, I'm sending weekly updates, I'm briefing them on my findings of the research and different sorts of things just to make them feel really comfortable and understand that there are things going on behind the scenes. They just haven't seen the end result yet, but it really goes on a case by case basis. Okay. So man, I mean, we could sum that up with just the notion of management of expectations, like proactive management Mm -hmm. of expectations that plays a a really big role. What would you say though? I mean, like if you're sitting down with me and I'm a potential client, we're having coffee and you're, you're having conversation with me. Is there a particular way that you have learned to more effectively communicate what it is that you're thinking, um, you know, the, the, the service that you're offering, et cetera, more effectively to somebody so that they are able to understand it clearly. Is it just a matter of using the right words? Um, or does it even, does that even vary depending on the person in front of you? Um, I would say that varies on the person's understanding of what copywriting is. And Ah, a lot of times the obstacle that I come up against is that most people, and I'm not going to refute this, but most people would believe that they are good writers and they can write well. So they don't understand always what copywriting does and the whole need for it to begin with. Hmm. So a lot of times we kind of start from there and we go from it's not, I kind of dive into what the whole purpose of the research is. And again, this is coming back to the framework that we're going to discuss later is the whole purpose of the research and what that does and how it can help you make more and better sales and why you as the business owner or whatever hat you wear in that company probably don't have time Hmm. to do all the different things that I'm going to do for you to help you get where you need your business to go. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you you continue to tease our later conversation very well. We'll get to that. (laughs) Everybody stay stay put. Keep listening. Um, I want to get to my next question, which has to do with time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this podcast from the very beginning really was was largely, and in fact, even up, believe it or not, this the book of podcasts, we've been around for a while now, but even prior to the book of podcasts, we had another podcast called the I Have a Life podcast. It was it was a reflection of, of another brand that I tried to develop. Didn't play out, but all this to say the conversation, there's a theme through these both these podcasts that is a focus on time management, more effective time mm-hmm. management as business owners. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think personally that I want to work for myself if it doesn't mean that I have more freedom and flexibility than the person having to do a nine to five job or you know nine to eight job or whatever it might be. So time management, more efficient time management. 
I'm curious if there's something that you've learned about this concept as a business owner that's really helped you have that kind of freedom and flexibility and to be able to give time to the important relationships in your life. Yeah. So like probably most business owners here, um, I'm constantly learning, but I have two things that kind of go hand in hand. And the first one is that I do um, batch my days. So that looks like taking time every Sunday to look over like all of my to do's for the week and batching my like tasks together. So for example, Mondays are my marketing days, Tuesdays, I do client communication, etc. And I kind of throw everything into those buckets. Um, But the other technique that I have is just a really liberal use of timers. So almost the entire time I've been a business owner, I've had my kids home with me either part time or full time. Sure. So and like so many people find themselves this year, I am actually going to be running my business and homeschooling my kids. And I don't just mean remote learning. Like I'm in charge of curriculum. We have fully withdrawn them and I am homeschooling them. So to make sure that everything kind of stays running smoothly, I like to kind of block my time into work hours, school hours, home management hours, et cetera. And I set a timer for every to go off at the end of every block. And I treat the time kind of like I would treat it like the bell in high school. So whenever the bell rings, that class period is over and it's time to move on. And it helps me be a lot more efficient in my work too, because obviously when I'm schooling my kids, I how that time goes, I'm not in control of as much because there's little people involved. But when I sit down to work or when I sit down to do things, you know, for the house, it makes me a lot more efficient because I'm working towards kind of trying to game the system and beat the timer. And so I live and die by my timers. So do you set these timers just like using the alarm on your phone or do you have a special alarm that you've purchased? Like, what does that look like? (laughs) Yeah, I just use the alarm on my phone and I label them. And for most days, they kind of go the same, like from five to seven, I'm usually doing some writing work. Then my kids get up and I try to finish some work here. And so they can, they stay pretty much the same. My time blocks do, but I will adjust them and I always label them. So that way I never have to remember like, Oh, what's supposed to happen next? Like the alarm tells me this is what happens next. And That's I cool. Just do that thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I, and we've talked about this concept before, but there it, it's easy to get drawn into a task at hand and then other tasks or responsibilities suffer as a result because we end up getting stuck yes. there for a long time. It also means yes. it if we... Uh, have kind of endless time to complete that particular task, we'll take the endless time to complete that particular task. Whereas if we create some structure for ourselves, it tends to make us work more efficiently, right? Yes. Huh. Well, that's, yep. And that, I, I need someone someone to tell me what to do. Yeah. If that's my phone, then <laughs> that's what it is. No, so, that's yeah. smart though. I, I love that. And then batching your days or batching the work within mm-hmm. your days like uh, or similar tasks does that, is it a similar concept? Have you found that just kind of doing anything and everything every day was just not as efficient? Yes. I would get sucked into, say, I had to sit down to write a homepage for a client. Well, I would sit down and then I would be distracted by this email. And then I would be like, oh, I need to do this marketing task. And I would get three hours in and realize I haven't even started on the homepage yet because I kept getting distracted by all of these other things. So when I batch it that way is I know on Wednesdays, I only work on client work. 
and there's, there's nothing else for me to do. And so it's a lot easier to um, stay on task when I handle it that way. Now, outsourcing and delegation, this is a concept mm-hmm. that we also talk quite a bit about. It's one of the most important elements of managing time more effectively. Is this something that you've experimented with in your business? Um, just a little bit. And I know I'm speaking to, I guess, kind of a, a group of extremely creative people right now. So some people might be um, chuckling when I say this, but <laughs> I really like to outsource design work. Like, okay. I feel like I know what looks good and what I like, yeah. but I just lack knowledge to kind of execute that. Yes, sure. And um, I will fall down a rabbit hole of working for hours on something yeah. only for it to never really look exactly the way I wanted it to. Sure, sure. So um, if there is a template, a tool, a person even that can execute exactly what I need done, I'm going to give you all of my money. Otherwise, it's a one-man show around here. And I like to use my alarms and automations um, to keep me on track. (laughs) You're going to have a bunch of designers emailing you now. When you just made the statement (laughs) about giving them all your money, they're going to be like, okay, sure, right here. We'll take care of you. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I think you make a really good point, which is just because we enjoy something and maybe even mm-hmm. halfway have an idea of how to do it doesn't necessarily mean that's the thing we should be spending our time on. And right. um, there are effective ways, you know, I've, I've talked endlessly about this, but it bears repeating, which is that if we know exactly what it is that we're trying to accomplish on a bigger picture level, it makes it really easy or certainly much easier to filter out the things we shouldn't be spending our time on and then take those tasks and give them to somebody else who can also handle them for us so that we can focus on the things that will more quickly enable us to reach our goals. And mm-hmm. um, it really is as simple as that. So I, I, I love that, you know, even if it's, even if it's just the design work that you have found something you're able to delegate. And I think it's a great reminder for all of us uh, that we need to continue to look for those opportunities. Talk to me though about a, an impactful business or maybe self-help book that you've read or listened to that's been just really impactful. This one was hard and, you know, probably not for the reason that you would think it's actually, I am more of a fiction gal and I don't love, I don't love reading, um, business books. So mostly anytime I read a business book, it is directly related to copywriting. Okay. Um, and so lately this one was a super quick read. It's just called the writer's diet and it's a little bit different. It's not about necessarily words that make sales, but it's just about kind of the flow of your words and how you can edit to make things just sound a lot prettier and nicer. And that's whether mm. you're a novelist or a copywriter. It's really um, just more of the science behind kind of editing yourself and making things less boring and more fun to read. I really liked it. It's like a 75-page book that was I loved reading that one. Well, I think that length of book sounds great for everyone. <laughs> if they're going to yes. read something, you know, like you get through it pretty quickly. And it, tell me the name of it one more time. The Writer's Diet. The Writer's Diet. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll have to put that in the show notes. Look it up. We'll put it in the show notes. And actually, for everybody listening in, if you go to bocapodcast.com, you can see the show notes from the episode. Uh, you can also go to bocabookshelf.com, and you can see the most popular book recommendations from our guests over the years. Uh, that's a really cool resource that Haley's also put together. So make sure that um, that you actually take advantage of these things. But let's jump to the main topic at hand, really. I mean, as yes. a copywriter, and, and I know it's a this is a topic we could go various directions with and really spend hours and hours and hours talking about, but you specifically talked about a framework and are kind of leading up to our interview today 
called the Jobs to be Done framework. Is this a concept mm-hmm. that you designed or you learned somewhere else? What, what's the origin of it? Yes. So I did not design this. It was actually an idea created by a Harvard professor named Clayton Christensen. Okay. Um, But I learned it from one of my, like, I guess, mentors, (laughs) Joanna Weeb. She owns copyhackers.com. If anyone is trying to DIY their own copy or they aren't a copywriter and they're super interested in the science of it all, that is a great place to check out. Copyhackers.com. Okay, cool. Yeah. And that's where I learned about it, but it is not my idea. And a lot of times you'll run into kind of two different methods for this framework, but though the best one, the one that's going to get you the most sales is looking at the job that you do as um, a way for your clients to progress in something. So it just means you're constantly asking yourself the question, how does what I do help my audience like make the transformation into who they want to become. And we can get a little bit deeper in that in just a minute, but it's really just looking at how what you're doing is helping them become what they've always hoped to be. And what, how does that tie to the phrase jobs to be done? Mm -hmm. So it's looking past the job you're doing okay. to the true job that they want completed, if ah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, yeah, So yeah, if yeah. you're a family photographer, well, sure, they want pictures of their family, but right. what do they really want? Ah. That's what you're getting to the heart of. Interesting. Yeah, because it, it, you're right. It goes beyond just a digital file or a physical print. Right. There's a feeling associated with that, too, that you're wanting to, to create via an experience. Huh, that's interesting. Okay, so we understand the purpose of the framework then. Will you break down um, the, the components or maybe the questions that need to be asked that, that kind of lead us to this jobs to be done framework? Yeah, so there are really four main questions that okay. I will ask of a product or service or offering to kind of get to the heart of the jobs to be done. And so um, I'll go deeper into each one, but the First question would be, what is the push? And so the push is the thing that is pushing them into finding a new solution to their problem or whatever the issue is. So they're thinking to themselves, what I have is not good enough. So the push is going to describe all of the struggles, the situation and situations that kind of stir people up to look for change. Okay. Then you have to look at what is the pool and the pool would be like the fantasy that they create in their mind about how much better their life might be after they purchase whatever it is they're purchasing from you. So this is just how your job can help them make progress or get things done better or help them become the person they've always wanted to be or live the life they've always wanted to live, that kind of thing. And before we get to the third and fourth one, the push, yeah. the pull, how would you differentiate these two? Because they sound relatively similar. They do. So the push is really, it. this is when they look around and they're like, if I don't get this solved. So again, we'll go ahead and look at um, photographers and they are, the family is looking around at their walls and they're like, that picture was taken 10 years ago. <laughs> yep. And oh my gosh, if I spend one more day looking at this picture, I'm going to lose my mind, but I don't want a blank space on this wall. That's the push. That's going to be when they start thinking, I need to look for a family photographer. Okay. Okay. Right. But then the pool is, 
when they start thinking about how much nicer their wall is going to look with an updated family picture and all of the beautiful images they get to share on their Facebook feed and all the awesome compliments they're going Uh, to get on their beautiful family. Like that's the fantasy they've created in their mind of how their life is going to be better. Okay. So that's kind of like the the feeling that I was mentioning just a second ago, like how they're going to feel as a result of this thing. So they're initially motivated by that push. And then the poll is like, it's, it's kind of bringing them along further as they start to, as you say, fantasize about how they're going to feel as a result of having these new pictures. That's, that makes sense. Okay. So that's the first and second. What's the, the third question? So the third question would be probably the next thing that they come up against is what is the anxiety? Like you need to examine what are these things that are stopping them from purchasing with you? Are are they going to think that you're too expensive or that their partner won't support it? Um, you need to kind of examine what are they risking here and how can you ease that anxiety? Ah, okay. So if they have anxiety and choice, you would define that as do they not know how this thing works? Do they not know that things are going to be delivered on time or anxiety and use, which would be once they pay, what is holding them back from being a repeat customer. We have to kind of fight that anxiety by showing them how their lives can be better. Yeah. That um, makes, that makes, that totally makes sense. I'm, I'm thinking, I, I actually, I'm taking notes as you're talking here and I wrote down barriers as in like barriers to entry. We have to minimize yes. those barriers to entry as, as a, well, I guess entry into a new relationship, a client relationship mm-hmm. with us. That makes sense. Okay. And then what's the fourth one? And the fourth one is what is the habit? So a habit would be um, something that either keeps them from switching to your method or to Uh, your service, or it's something maybe you are a fitness trainer. And so how can you help them drop old habits to develop new ones? Um, You need to find the places in their life that they're complacent and show them that what they have is not good enough if they are prone to convincing themselves that, ah, you know what, it is good enough and I'm not going to go with this anyway. Is so you need to find that habit and kind of niggle at it, I guess. Yeah, that that makes sense as well. I mean, I, I think about, um, so I, I can take my own company, Photographer's Edit, for example, and I'm talking to photographers about the value of delegating their editing work to my company. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the habit, the so-called habit, for example, would be, them doing their own editing. It's it's a it's a That's comfort right. zone for them. I mean, you talked about design, doing your own design, how you enjoy that. A lot of photographers enjoy doing their own editing. They kind of hold on to that thing in some, if not many cases, because they feel like they can do it better. Um, so I have to be able to effectively communicate to them why this is actually worth a change in habit in order to then That's delegate right. that work to us. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. I love how practical and, and very simple these concepts are. What How does this then translate specifically to the copy on the website? Yeah. So right before we jump into that, I do want to, just for anyone who isn't clear, is an easy way to get answers to those questions that we kind of just talked about is to get them straight for your your ideal customer. So that's going to either be through paid or audience surveys, or even just kind of sleuthing around and digging through (laughs) Facebook comments or looking at reviews of um, similar jobs. It's just, you really, it's important that you're not making up what you think would be the answer uh, to this question. Yeah, good old assumptions, re- right? 
Right. <laughs> you really need to make sure that you're getting as close to knowing uh, what they want as you can. Mm. And the easiest way is to just ask them. But if you're new, it, um, you know, a little, a little sleuth style research on the internet that works too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, it's so funny, like any relationship, personal, professional relationship. Uh, and I can, I'm continually reminded of this and, and it's something I have to continue to work on an ongoing basis, really the significance of not assuming and, and mm-hmm. even, well, I guess it really kind of goes along the same lines, not projecting, right? I, yeah. there's so many times in my life and relationships and conversations where I assume something because it's my experience, I, I assume that somebody else is had or has had a similar experience or is feeling a similar way. And while I think there's something to be said, certainly for experience, which then develops a certain knowledge base and understanding mm-hmm. of our industry and the clients that we work with, it's still a smart idea, as you suggested, to have actual conversation with a client or and 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 ask them these questions and get it directly from them versus just assuming that we know what all of our clients would say. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to kind of accept that you're not actually your target audience because <laughs> it would be so much easier if you were, right? Oh, that's so great. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got to remember that sometimes that's not true is you are not the person you're selling to. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That I mean, that in of itself is a massive r- reminder and lesson for us to take away from this conversation. So I'm glad that you highlight that. Well, talk, talk to us then about how this translates to the copy on websites. Absolutely. So this is the kind of information that you're going to write, use to write things like the hook or headline on your page. So okay. like the the most important line on your page, it's, it's the very first thing that people are going to see. It's got the power to keep someone reading or have them click away. So you're going to want to use what you've learned from the jobs to be done framework to make sure that that first line is resonating the most with your ideal client, um, you want to you want it to resonate with them like on a really deep level, so that they stay on the page. And so, once they if they're comparing services and they click on your page, they know that they are in the exact right place, and they're going to pursue what you do over the other pages they might have been looking at. Okay, and and when I'm like, I was actually starting to write down here when I'm thinking about. Uh, and again, I'm just being personal here. My company, Photographers Edit, if, if I'm thinking about how I effectively convert a potential client um, and going back through this framework, what's the push? What's the pull? What's the anxiety? What's the habit? Um, I need to address all these things. I, I'm a bit of a, a minimalist and a simplicity freak. So I, I kind of combine the push and pull and anxiety mm-hmm. into one idea, which is the pain point. Is that Does that make yeah. sense to do that or is that too simplistic? No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense to do that. And you can, um, there are several different ways to approach it. So, you know, your hook line doesn't necessarily have to talk to a pain point. Okay. You could talk to their fantasy instead. So it could be like, have the gallery wall you've always dreamed of. That's probably bad, but you know what I'm, (laughs) I'm getting at. So that's not really talking about a pain point. It's more talking about the end result. So really you can use your jobs to be done to, um, create a hook that either, talks directly to their pain or directly to the fantasy that they have created in their mind. Um, yeah. The, the so, poll that you were talking about earlier, I guess, yeah. I guess maybe the push and the anxiety, the first and, and third points can maybe mm-hmm. be combined into that so-called pain point, but then you don't want to leave them 
kind of focusing on just the pain, then you want to talk about that fantasy, that really great feeling on the other side. So you address the pain point, but then you also highlight the feeling on the other side of utilizing your service or product um, and and then address, I don't know, I guess the habit also kind of almost falls into a pain point as well, but address the habit uh, that is the norm for them so that they effectively feel like they can relax and give that or, 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 or trust you, I guess, to purchase your yes. service or purchase your product. And if you want to circle this kind of back to the first question that you asked me is this is a great way to to find your brand's position or your unique unique value proposition, whatever it is you want to call it. If you are struggling to find those things, you need to come to these questions and answer those first. And once you can boil the answers of all those questions down to one line, like that's your hook. You can just use different words to make it sound different. But as long as you know um, who you're talking to and what you're talking about, you've got it. Now, I'm I'm obviously all for, I mean, we talked about the significance of delegation. I'm all for our listeners hiring somebody like yourself who has experience as an expert in copywriting specifically. But if, if, if they had to write a line, for example, for their website um, and maybe try to combine these concepts into a line. I mean, this is something I've, in fact, I do something called brand position consultations we've published here mm-hmm. in the podcast where um, I, one of the things that I do is work with photographers to kind of narrow down and focus in the messaging. Ultimately, brevity is, it's just, it's everything, especially in this noisy environment that we live in in 2020. So do you have a tip or a suggestion for our listeners as to how to simplify or ultimately kind of take words out, minimize the number of words that they're using in order to communicate these concepts to a potential client? It really, I mean, it's like any creative process and you you just, for me, you just have to keep working at it. So a lot of times if I'm working on that for a client, it comes out really long and almost like a stream of consciousness. Just It's just a bunch of ideas jumbled together. And I keep working on that and pairing different phrases and words and things together until it kind of just comes down to um, a way that we can, we can talk about that brand positioning in five seconds or less and that anybody can understand. So you could say it to a five-year-old, you could say it to your ideal client, you could say it to anyone, and most people are going to understand exactly what you do. Yeah. And two things stood out to me when you were in what you just said. One was um, something you can say in five seconds or less. I, I'm I'm mm-hmm. like all on board with that idea. In fact, I would even say three seconds or less if at all possible, just because again, I know yeah. people are bored so easily. Um, right. But but then the other thing that you highlighted was that not only can an adult understand it, but a child can understand it. We're using words that are simple enough. And one of the things that I've highlighted on those brand position consultation uh, podcasts or podcasts is the importance of not simply using industry language, like words that we understand within our industry, assuming that our clients know what this thing means, we need to actually speak a language that they understand. So keep it simple and relevant. Yes. I always, so my kids are um, five and six. Yeah. And so they know, they know mommy, mommy helps people make more money with words. That's, I tell them that all the time (laughs) and they they understand and I'll hear them be like, 
Oh, the copywriter's coming to visit, like when they're playing pretend. I'm like, great, wonderful. It just needs to be something that anyone can understand. Oh my word, but I really love the summation of that. I mean, that's, that should be your brand <laughs> position. Just plaster that on the homepage of your website. I, yeah. I help you make money with words. That's really cool. I, I really love that. Well, this has been, I love the, I mean, speaking of brevity and simplicity and ease of understanding, you're a great communicator. Um, this has been really practical information that was easy to consume. And I think really good food for thought for our listeners. Um, how can they find out more about your, your services and follow what you're doing online? Yeah. So you can find me at strikingconversation.com. Uh, right now the website is, um, undergoing construction. We should have something new up on, um, August 4th. And then I'm also on Instagram you can find me at Kate Center, and I'm going to go ahead and spell that out. So Kate is K-A-I-T, and then Center is S-E-N-T-E-R. I'm not really very active on Facebook or anything, so the website and Instagram are the two best places to find me. And there I blog. On Instagram, um, I try to do really quick videos under five minutes that explain like essential copy tips and all sorts of things over there. Okay, cool. So we'll, we'll link to both of these in the show notes, bocapodcast.com. Um, and, and of course, for those who are going to go to the website, make sure you do go to the blog. I mean, I'm seeing like this first title stood out to me, 136 smart marketing words that help convert. Here's another one right here, seven steps to a more effective content marketing strategy. So uh, make sure that you take advantage of the resources there on the blog. Send Caitlin a message if you've got questions or just want to thank her for yeah. sharing on the podcast today. Thanks so much for making time for all of us today, Caitlin. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at bocapodcast.com. We do try to bring this show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographers Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.